Well, uh, once again, let me just say Happy Father's Day to all the guys out there. Uh, Happy Father's Day to you. Because the truth is, uh, whether or not you have children of your own, if you are a guy, if you have both an X and a Y chromosome, then you have a unique Father grace from God. A special grace to reveal the goodness of God the Father from your unique position, your unique perspective as a guy. At Resurrection Church, we recognize the unique grace God gives women and the unique grace God gives men, and we're grateful for both of them. Unlike some of the world today, we still believe there is a difference. And I would say, viva la difference. Uh, it's a difference established by God himself. So that as men and women work together, together they reveal and reflect something of the glory of God. And so I thought on this particular Father's Day, then it might be worthwhile to take a little bit of time uh, to focus just a little bit this morning on the importance and the power of that unique uh, Father grace. So with that in mind, just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me please as you're able to do that? And uh, we're going to read together 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, right out of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 to 12. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions, and those of you worshiping with us virtually, just read it out as it pops up there on the screen. That way we'll walk through it together. Uh, 1 Corinthians, though, chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 8, this is what the Bible says. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians at, at a church in Thessalonica. So we love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. And while we preach the gospel of God to you, you are our witnesses and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and, and you may be seated. Now, just to give you a little bit of backdrop here, uh, the Apostle Paul founded the Church of Thessalonica on what's often referred to as his second missionary journey. Basically, uh, he stopped in Thessalonica after being beaten and jailed in Philippi. And while he was there, he started a church. He started with Jews who believed the gospel. A, a large number of Greeks came to believe, and also several prominent women from the city. But he was only able to train them for roughly a month very short period of time that he was able to teach them and train them and disciple them because at the end of that very short period of time, he had to be spirited out of the city at night because an angry mob had gathered to get him. And so as a result of having a very limited amount of time to train and equip and disciple this group of believers, the Thessalonians were ripe for confusion and deception. And so both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians were written by the Apostle Paul to address some issues that began to pop up, some confusion that began to pop up among this fairly young church. 
And in fact, uh, Bible scholars are pretty universal in agreeing that 1 Thessalonians, this particular book, is one of the very earliest books, one of the very first books of the New Testament ever written. What I want to focus your attention on this morning, however, is Paul's description of his love for and his ministry to the Thessalonians, his description of that in terms of fatherhood. For you know, he writes, that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Before I dig into that, and we are going to dig into that just a little bit this morning, before I dig into it, I do want to share with you one ridiculously obvious point. And that point is very simply that the Apostle Paul was not, biologically speaking, the father of any of the people to whom he was writing. Paul was unmarried. Uh, He sired no children of his own. Yet he lived his entire life as a follower of Jesus uh, as a father figure to countless people. He frequently referred to Timothy as his own dear son in the faith. He wrote to the entire church in Corinth and said, In the gospel through Christ, I have become your father. And here he writes to the entire church in Thessalonica. And he tells them that he sees them and he treats them as a father. And I share that obvious point with you very simply to reiterate my earlier point. That if you are God, whether you have children of your own or not, you have a unique grace from God to bless and help and strengthen others as a father figure in their lives. And as far as I can tell, there has never been a time in the history of our nation that's more needed than right now. Recent statistics indicate that upwards of 40%, above 40% of all births in the United States today occur outside of marriage. In at least four states, more than half of all births today are to unmarried mothers. And we know statistically that children who grow up without their fathers present in their lives are two to three times more likely to live in poverty. They're at least two times more likely to engage in early sexual activity. Young ladies who grow up without fathers in their lives are seven times more likely to become pregnant during adolescence. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers are from fatherless homes. And 85% of all young people incarcerated in America grew up in homes without a father around. Our world, certainly our nation, desperately needs fathers and father figures. And it presents a powerful opportunity for Christian men to step up to the plate and step into that need. Dads, granddads, uncles, cousins, coaches, teachers, youth workers, mentors. If you're a guy and you're listening to me here or virtually, you're listening to me right now, I have two questions for you this morning. Number one, with whom are you sharing your father gift? 
Who is it that you are trying to bless and help as a father figure, to step into and mentor and disciple? Who are you doing that for? And number two, how well are you doing it? Now, only you can answer the first question. Only you know who it is you're, you're trying to love and serve and bless and, and play to some degree a father figure role in their lives. Only you know the answer to that question. But I'm going to take some time this morning and work through this passage of Scripture we looked at to give you what I hope is some help in understanding how to make sure you do that well. So the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica, he says, For you know that I dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. But I want to look a little bit more closely this morning at what precisely he meant by that. How it is the Apostle Paul envisions and understands the role of father. I started reading this morning just a couple verses earlier, back in verse 8, where uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And here is the crucial starting point for anyone who wants to help anyone. It is the starting point. If you want to help somebody biblically, if you want to bless somebody biblically, if you want to help someone the way God wants you to help them, the starting point is always love. As I'm fond of saying, love is an action now. Now, that's not good grammar, but I say it anyway. Love is an action now, and it only comes into its own when it's actually doing something. In other words, to feel love in your heart but not do anything with it is not to love, at least not biblically. And the primary action of love is self-giving. In fact, love is by definition self-giving. Jesus said uh, in the Gospel of John, greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. The Apostle John, apparently moved by that, wrote many years later in his first epistle, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers. And in the text we're looking at this morning, the Apostle Paul, in explaining to the Thessalonians that his work with them is being engaged in as a father for his own children, writes and says, we loved you so much that we, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. In other words, we gave you the gospel and we gave you ourselves. We gave you the truth and we gave you ourselves. We served you and we taught you and we helped you and we worked with you. We gave you everything we had. And then we went one step further and gave you ourselves. And I want to suggest to you that anything less than that, biblically speaking, isn't really love, isn't really ministry, isn't really fathering. Anybody can have a child, but it is something else entirely to father them. You can produce a child without love. You can teach a child without love. You can play with a child without love. You can discipline a child without love. But love is the starting point of actually behaving like a father. 
We loved you so much, Paul said, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you've become so dear to us. Fathers give the very best of who they are. And that means you can't be a particularly good father. You can't really function well as a father if you spend more time on the golf course than with your children. You really can't father anyone if you don't make yourself available to them, if you won't really share yourself with them. So Paul says, we loved you guys so much that we gave ourselves to you. And then he goes on to write in the next verse, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked hard night and day, in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. And if love is the posture of fathering, if love is the starting point of fathering, if self-giving love is the beginning of fathering, then its very first action is sacrifice. Fathers put their children, those they mentor and disciple and lead, because fathering at the end of the day is discipling. They put them ahead of themselves. In the context of the nuclear family, fathers put their wives ahead of their children and their children ahead of themselves. That means that kids get shoes before dad does. School supplies are purchased before fishing tackle. And if dad needs to take on extra work to make sure the kids can get a Christian education, dad takes on extra work. Because fathers sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the ones they're fathering. Fathers understand that the job description sometimes involves our toil and hardship. That the father job description often involves working night and day in order not to be a burden. And maybe sometimes just to put food on the table. But let me offer one aside here, and it's an important aside. It's an important aside. It's one thing to put food on the table. It is another thing entirely to provide a giant house and a really fancy car. I had a conversation uh, this past week with a young man who's starting his own family now. And we were talking. We were talking about what he wants to do in his family and how he wants to lead that family. And we talked to him about his family of origin and what he wanted to bring in and what he wanted to leave out. And he began to lament to me how very absent his dad had been when he was growing up. Now, they were an intact family. Mom and dad were married. They all lived in the same home. But dad was always, always, always either physically absent or mentally checked out doing business. And looking back on that, this young man felt cheated. See, fathering begins with self-giving love. It frequently leads immediately to hard work and sacrifice. But listen to me, guys. No matter how much you want to justify it, listen, workaholism is not a manifestation of self-giving. The very first things fathers give their children is themselves, which you can't do if you're not there. 
In fact, if you notice, when the Apostle Paul writes about this toil and this hardship, about working night and day, he writes those things in the context of pouring the gospel into them. We worked hard night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. In other words, make sure you notice, Paul is not saying, we worked really hard so we were never home. We worked really hard so we were never around. Quite to the contrary, he said, we worked really hard so we could be there and pour the gospel into you. So we could be present to teach you and share you, to proclaim the gospel, to teach the gospel, to talk to you about the gospel, an activity that requires you to be present. And having said that, let me say that please, please, please do not miss this next activity of godly fathers, the duty of training in the gospel, of sharing and declaring the goodness of God, teaching and training in the word of God, because at its heart, the work of fathering is the work of discipling. So listen to me, guys. Teach your kids. Teach those you mentor. Teach them how to shave. Teach them how to shoot a basketball. Teach them how to change a tire. Teach them how to choose their friends. But more than anything else, teach them how to love and follow Jesus. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to read the Bible. Teach your children how to repent. Teach them to own their sin. Teach your children how to forgive. Teach them how to get past others' sin. Teach them how to become children of God by grace through faith in Jesus. And dads, one of the single most important ways you'll ever do that is by your own example. Because the very next verse says this, You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. Now, whatever else you may have experienced in your own life and whatever else you may have seen on television or in the movies, godly fathers do not disciple with do as I say, not as I do. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would write things like this to the people he was discipling the people he was trying to behave as a father toward. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, 1 Corinthians 4.16. Join with others in following my example, Philippians 3.17. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, Philippians 4.9. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. And for the Apostle Paul, I assure you, it was never about trying to get people to be like him, but always trying to get people to be like the one he loved and the one he served and the one he followed. And godly fathers want nothing more than they want that for those who follow them. So to do the work of a father, whether with children born to you or with people into whose lives God has granted you access, doing the work of the father begins, it begins with self-giving love. It moves immediately into hard work and sacrifice. It continues in teaching the Word of God and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and setting with your own life 
an example worth emulating. Paul continues in the next two verses. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. Now, i got to tell you, when the Lord began to stir with me, deal with me about sharing this particular message, it was out of these two verses of Scripture. And I assumed I was going to teach just out of these two verses of Scripture. But there's so much here uh, that began to just work on me as I read this. And here I am needing to end this message, and I just got to these two verses of Scripture. Um, so let me just say very, very quickly. Fathers encourage. Fathers say, you can do it. You've got this. Fathers encourage. They, they say, you can, do, you can do this. You've got And then they push you to try. Fathers tell you to jump in the pool when you don't want to. Fathers say, come on, you can swim. Give it one more push. Fathers push you to do more than you thought you could do, more than you wanted to try because fathers encourage. Number two, fathers comfort. Fathers hug and they hold and they make you feel safe. If you're a biological father or you're playing the role of father in someone's life and you are not hugging them, you're neglecting a major part of your role. Fathers hug and hold and make you feel safe. Fathers comfort. They tell you you're going to get past this, whatever this is. And number three, fathers exhort. Fathers urge you to live lives worthy of God. They call you to your best. They, they call more out of you than they see at the moment. They urge you to live like God wants you to live. They urge you to be the people God wants you to be. They exhort and they push and they urge you to be what God wants you to be, which means, listen to me, fathers must correct and discipline. Fathers call you on it when you blow it. Fathers tell you when you get it wrong. And often they apply consequences to that. Not to punish, but to train. I wish I had another hour to unpack these two verses. There's so much here. And i got to be honest with you, I don't know if any of this means anything to you at all. But to me, it is so powerful. I believe the Word of God is so good and so true and so powerful and so rich and so deep I can't get enough of it. Many years ago, there was a movie. Jack Nicholson was in I think it was called uh, As Good As It Gets. I don't, even, I don't think I saw the movie, but I, I have seen this scene. I know in the movie, he plays this really nasty, uh, messed up guy. He's unpleasant. Nobody really likes to be around him. But there comes a point in the movie where he wants to give a compliment to this uh, young woman he's interested in. I think it was played by Helen Hunt. And he's sitting down. They're sitting down at dinner, and this guy who never says the right thing ever says, I want to give you a compliment. And he looks at her, and he says, you make me want to be a better man. And it was so powerful and so simple and so staggeringly honest that it takes her breath away. I'm going to tell you that's how I feel when I read the Bible. I read these texts, and I'm awed, and I'm moved, and I'm provoked, and I'm convicted, and I'm inspired, and I want to be a better man. I want to be a better father to my children. I want to be a better husband to Melissa. I want to be a better pastor for you. I want to be a better follower of Jesus. I want it with everything inside me. And listen to me, that is absolutely the right second response to the Word of God. I hope and I pray this morning. I hope and I pray this morning that in listening to this and reading this, that these words, that they make you want to be a better person. 
I pray you want to be a better person. I pray you want to live more and more day by day the life God wants you to live. But I also pray that's your second response today. Because your first response to the Word of God is always supposed to be life-changing gratitude. To recognize that all these beautiful things that good fathers do for their children, God does. He has done and He continues to do for all those who love Him and follow Him. That God has made Himself known in self-giving love. Laying down His life in Christ, paying a debt that you owed so you could receive what you do not deserve. A brand new life with Him. A life that will carry on long past this one. For you to have access to that life, God made the ultimate sacrifice. This, the Apostle John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. I want to tell you, whether you believe me or not, I'm going to tell you, you cannot begin to understand love outside or apart from Jesus Christ. We confuse love with sex. We confuse love with infatuation. We confuse love with warm, fuzzy feelings on the inside. But real love, biblical love, is so much stronger than all of that. And the God who made everything has shown real love, true love to you in Jesus. And He asks in return that you love Him back, that you show true love to Him. That, that's always your first response to the Word of God. Thank you. Yes, sir. I receive that. Thank you. Yes, sir. I surrender. Thank you. Yes, sir. I will follow. And from there, from that place in God through Christ Jesus, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, from there you can go on to work on becoming a better person. I pray that your response to the Word of God, the first and second responses are both there. And if you've never surrendered your life to God through Jesus, that's where it begins. That's the first response. It's to say, thank you, I'll, I'll receive that. Thank you, I'll respond to that. Thank you, I will follow. And then the second response is, Lord, help me be a better man. Help me be a better person. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, as always, for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, your Bible speaks to us with such clarity. Just, just verse after verse after verse after verse, we walk through this passage, and over and over again, it just speaks right where we are and tells us the truth. Father, we thank you for that. Give us the grace to hear, to take it in, to let it change us, to respond to you as you want us to. Make us, Lord, we pray, the people you've called us and created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.